Psalm 57, verses 1 through 11, say this. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge, till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purposes for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let the glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's pray. O Lord God, let your glory be over all the earth, that you would be exalted, O God, above the heavens. God, would you prepare our hearts to hear how we can glorify you, how we can reflect your glory in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of hardships, God, specifically in the midst of our jobs, would you teach us how we can bring glory to you with our day-to-day -day tasks, in the midst of conflict with our coworkers, in the midst of confusion with our customers? God, we want to bring glory to you. God, would you Make that our heart's ambition to glorify you through all that we say, think, and do. God, would you help us? Would you teach us what we need to know in order to glorify you to all the nations? Maybe even at our workplace. God, give us a vision for what this could look like. As we hear your word preached tonight, May we worship you in thinking about what this could look like to glorify the God of the Bible, the Lord of the universe, in our workplace. God, would you bless us as we worship you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think this is the sermon out of all the series that many of you have been longing for, waiting for. You have an okay job. You're not going anywhere. Some days are good. Some days are bad. What you're really searching for is what is the meaning in it all? 
Right now, you view your work as simply the means to make a living. And what I want to convince you of tonight is that you were created to work for more than just a living. So we begin here. Christians work to the glory of God. That's our main point tonight. It's very simple. Christians work to the glory of God. It's a simple statement, but even so, we're going to break it down tonight. But what do we mean by that? And how can we do that with where we work and what we do? Uh, we get this from 1 Corinthians 10.31. It's a very short verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's so short, I'll read it again. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The context of that verse is that Paul is counseling Christians how to live and behave in the midst of unbelieving people. For instance, he offers great advice in verse 24 of that same passage. He says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor." So he establishes parameters for how Christians eat and drink in the home of someone who worships something or someone other than the God of the Bible. Eventually, he arrives at this catch-all command in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, which again states, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What does Paul have in mind here? Specifically, it's whether or not to eat food sacrificed to a false god. That's kind of what he gets to the bottom of in that passage. But the principle he arrives at is consider everything that you do and assess it. Consider everything that you do and assess it. Am I glorifying God with how I eat? Am I glorifying God with how I drink? These are seemingly small things. Think about how little attention we give to what we eat. For instance, what did you have for lunch yesterday? Some of us will sit here for five, 10 seconds and still not know. <laughs> Was God glorified with what you ate and in who, in front of who you ate that food? It's something so small in our minds, and yet Paul gives it meticulous attention and evaluation. Then he says, whatever you do, <laughs> do all to the glory of God. So my goal for us tonight is to assess our current work. 
Whatever it is, whatever the Lord has you doing right now in terms of a vocation, let's assess it and be honest with ourselves and asking the question, am I glorifying God through my work? First, we need to understand, what do we mean by the glory of God? We hear this said at church quite a bit, don't we? And yet sometimes we never really grapple with what do we mean by that? Many of you know that I just got back from a mission trip to Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, Went there with a team of our young adults. And on this trip, we had rich theological discussions while driving around in a minivan. And one theological dilemma that I volunteered to the team was in the form of a question. What is the difference between God's glory and his reputation? What is the difference between God's glory and his reputation? Think about that for a second. I'm not going anywhere. Think about it. It's good to be challenged in this way to wrestle with things that we we haven't really pondered or thought of. What is the difference between God's glory and his reputation? I'm not rushing to answer that question for you. Here's what our very own Don Clark voiced in the van that morning. She said, reputation is from man's perspective pretty good. Reputation is from man's perspective. So we could infer that God's glory is not based from man's perspective. And these are right assertions. God's reputation fluctuates. Why? Because man's opinion of God varies and changes, doesn't it? All it takes is a pastor to shipwreck and disqualify himself from ministry. All it takes is a zealous Christian to stuff and cram the Bible down someone's throat in an unloving manner. All it takes is someone who carries the label of Christian to go on living like the world. All these things bring reproach upon the name of Jesus Christ and harms his reputation among the peoples of the world. God's reputation fluctuates. God's glory, however, does not fluctuate. Why? It doesn't increase or decrease based on our actions or inaction. Why? Because God remains forever glorious, regardless of what we say or do. He remains glorious forever. And so it's at this point that I'd love to give you one of the simplest definitions of God's glory that I've found. What is is God's glory? What do we mean by that? God's Glory is his holiness on display. 
God's glory is his holiness on display. We see now why God's glory does not fluctuate because his holiness is forever. He never stops being holy, set apart, other than us. God's glory is his holiness on display. So returning to our conversation in the van this past weekend, I presented a follow-up question. What can we do with the glory of God? If it doesn't fluctuate, what can we do with the glory of God? And again, someone in the van offered up, well, we can attempt to rob him of glory. When we make things about us and not about him, we don't reflect the glory of God when we divert someone's attention away from God and towards us. Or we can cloud God's glory by not living holy lives that reflect his holiness. If God's glory is his holiness on display and we go on living unholy lives, we cloud God's glory. We confuse people. Or we can clearly reflect God's glory by pursuing personal holiness. Again, if God's glory is God's holiness on display and we pursue personal holiness that he is delighted to provide for us and walk with us through, then we can reflect the glory of God. But my favorite word for the positive impact that we can have to, the, to glorify God is this word magnify. We magnify the glory of God. Think about the sun. I know we didn't really see it today because of the weather, but it's still there, right? We have the sun, and, and you can't do a single thing to keep this hot ball of gas from being a hot ball of gas, can you? It's always going to be that. We can't affect it. But when the conditions are right and we position in such a way that the light from the sun is concentrated on a specific target. Maybe you were like me growing up as a kid and took a magnifying glass to a bunch of ants. Maybe you didn't. What you must do is position the lens of your life between the unchanging glory of God and your current work, whatever it is you're doing. Place the lens of your life in between God's unchanging glory and the target of your work. So I want to give you five ways to magnify God's glory in your work. Five ways you can magnify God's glory in your work. 
the first? Your character. Your character. Does the character of Jesus set the tone for your own behavior? How do we know what Jesus' character looks like? Well, we read in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 24, how those who belong to Jesus Christ should and should not behave. Paul says in Galatians 5, 19 through, 19 through 24, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such thing, things will not enter the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, I know you have questions about that, that passage, but I got to keep it in the parameters of our topic tonight. For a second, stop thinking about how your coworkers view you and start thinking about how does God view your lifestyle? How does God see your typical behavior? Is God pleased with what you're doing? Are you known for displaying the fruits of the Spirit? And what you do to the glory of God? Which one of these best describes your character? Loving or indifferent? Many of us think the opposite of love is hate. It's not. It's indifference. So which one best describes you in your workplace? Joyful or pessimistic? Peaceful or controversial? Patient or unsettled? Kind or inconsiderate? Good or hopeless? Faithful or fickle? Gentle or harsh? Self-controlled? or impulsive. Paul says at the end of that passage, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Surrender to the Holy Spirit and walk in step with Him to pursue character like that of Jesus Christ in your work. Secondly, your performance. Second way you can magnify God's glory in your work is in your performance. Working with excellence means that you will do what is best even when it isn't 
easy. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has who called us to his own glory and excellence. The Lord Jesus has called us into his own glory and excellence. So we as his disciples should be some of the best, smartest, hardest working workers in all the world. And it is my prayer that many of you Many of you will be sent out of our ministry and church because you reveal the excellencies of Jesus Christ and your organization in such a way that you are promoted up and out of that organization, given bigger spheres of influence by which you can continue to leverage them to advance God's kingdom. I pray that for you. I want to see that. That are we, are we serious about being a spiritual awakening in Memphis and beyond? A certain theologian puts it, mediocrity, sloppy workmanship, and half-hearted effort do not bring glory to God and advance his kingdom. Too often people's actions are controlled by what they can get away with not by doing what is right. And so at this moment, the sermon's not over, but I know our hearts are weighing heavy right now. And so I'd love to just close our eyes and bow our heads momentarily. And I would love to offer up a confession on behalf of every person in this room. Lord, we confess where we have fallen short in our current and past jobs. We have not worked to your glory. We have fallen remarkably short of what you have expected of us. We hurt to know we have displeased you. Would you forgive us and empower us to work excellently with you and for you? Lord, may we lean into your grace where we have not lived for you in what we do day in and day out. Lord, please bless us to perform rightly in our jobs. Oh, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So often, we have been the sluggard in Proverbs 26, making excuses, refusing to work, procrastinating on projects, and eventually rationalizing our laziness. Christians should be the first in line to wage war against sloth and mediocrity. Because an excellent God is not magnified by mediocre sloppiness. So, 
smile. Make someone's day. Go above and beyond what is asked of you. Don't dash out of the workplace at 459 like the building's on fire. Don't treat people like they're interruptions. Make experiences with you and your organization memorable for others so that they cannot wait to come back or request you by name. Third, third way you can glorify God in your work is your relationships. Your relationships. How can you show excellence in your work relationships? I pose the question to you this way. Do you want others to succeed more than yourself? Do you want others to succeed more than yourself? Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8 tell us, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here is an easy, practical way you can live out Philippians 2.4. Are you ready? Approach any coworker of your choice. You pick. And then ask them point blank. What is a problem you're facing today? What is a problem you're facing today? Then take their answer and do anything, big or small, to make their problem easier to solve. And this is what's going to happen. They're going to bring bigger problems to you. They're going to bring more spiritual problems to you. They're going to bring their sin problem to you. And you will be ready. You will be ready to show them God's power to save them, to rescue them, to deliver them from their problem. Those who follow Jesus look and act like him, which means they live for the flourishing of others. Not just their own. So are you a person who makes others better? Do you purposefully invest in others so that they can succeed? That's what Jesus did. And that's the example we are to follow. That sounds really nice, Cross, but 
what if I lose my job because I neglect my work and I get fired? Do not let fear take away the opportunity to honor Jesus. Do not let fear rob you of the opportunity to honor Jesus. If you have a wise employer, they're going to see what's happening. And they're going to want to reward you and retain you. If you have an unwise employer and you do end up losing your job, well, you have a better resume. And now the opportunity to find a better job. Don't let fear rob you of the opportunity to honor Jesus. Fourth, fourth way to magnify God's glory in your work is your conflicts. Your conflicts. Hear me on this. Conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. Let's say that again. Conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. Now, it's often a difference of opinion, but it can become sin. Conflict becomes sin when, one, we avoid it. Two, create it unnecessarily. And three, handle it poorly. Conflict can become sin when we avoid it, create it unnecessarily, and handle it poorly. To give us some verses on this, Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Philippians 4, 5 says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And of course, Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount says, Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called sons of God. Christians are called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. We enter into realms of chaos and make peace. We find ourselves in the center of the mess, not because of what we've done, but because of the initiative we've taken to make a point, to make peace and bring about resolve. We make our reasonableness known and live peaceably with all. And in this, we magnify the glory of God who has done the same thing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Think back to where you were. Think back to where you were when Jesus found you. Think of the mess he entered in. pulled you out of the muck and the mire and set you on solid ground that you would walk. 
that in our sin we were stuck. And he made it his point to enter into our mess and draw us out by his grace. That that's what we were talking about with Philippians 2. That he humbled himself. He emptied himself of his rights and lived among us, took on flesh. And though he was tempted in every way that we are, he is without sin. He lived the life you and I could never live. And then he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He died the death we all deserve because the wage of sin is death. The price we pay for our rebellion is death. And Jesus paid that price in full to atone, to make right our sin. And he rose from the grave, just as we sang tonight, to conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave. Jesus entered into our mess and drew us out. So we must be like him in this. God shows his excellence when we handle conflict like Jesus. Lastly, the fifth way to magnify the glory of God in your work is your message. Your message. The message of your life, if you are a born-again Christian, is that you are living in God's power to save you from your sin. You are living and working in a manner worthy of the gospel. You are a witness for Jesus Christ, always prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you. You are an ambassador for Christ, extending the message of his kingdom. Just as I have articula I've articulated the gospel to you, you do the same. From the pulpit of your lives and your work, inviting those to come, as Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Sharing the gospel can be intimidating, I know, especially in the workplace. We try to bide our time, strategize, wait for the right moment. And then three years later, our coworkers have no idea we're a Christian. Or worse, they do know, but wonder why, if we believe what we believe about hell, we haven't shared the way to everlasting life. Here's another easy and practical way to take one step towards sharing the gospel. Are you ready? Approach any coworker of your choice and then offer to buy their lunch. Go to lunch and listen. 
Listen to their life story. Ask questions. And then when it's your turn, you tell them about what Jesus has done for you and why you live and work as a response to his grace. God's glory is always magnified when you faithfully share the gospel out of a love and appreciation for Jesus Christ. The glory of God is always magnified when you faithfully share the gospel out of a love and appreciation for Jesus Christ. God may call you to a job that you think is beneath you. Just remember that when he does, he is calling you to follow Jesus who came to this world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for many. We work for more than a paycheck, more than a vacation, more than just a living. We work to the glory of God. We have the opportunity through our excellent work to magnify a glorious God to a world that desperately needs to see him.